Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Good morning, everybody. What a privilege it is to be asked every now and again to come up here and bring God's Word to you. Um, If you would turn in your Bibles, if you brought a Bible, um, it will also be on the... um, The passage will also be on the screen behind me, Psalm 23. Let me get my glasses. Getting old now, 59 this year. Yes, sir. There we are, Psalm 23. I'll be reading Psalm 23 and 1 John chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. We have begun last week a sermon series in how the Lord restores our soul. It's summertime, people take vacations, they go away, um, but you might go away, but still return without a restored soul. The Bible teaches very clearly that the only way to restore our souls is to know Yahweh, the Lord, as your shepherd, my shepherd. It's the only way. And we'll be uh, taking this psalm step by step. I've got some words to say to David when he gets back. (laughs) Because he's made us take little snippets of this psalm when we would usually explain the whole psalm in one go. Okay, But we're not going to do that. We're going to take it little bit by bit. But without further ado, could you stand please? And we will do our reading. I want to read the whole of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And first John. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would take your word 
and that you would deliver it deep into our hearts and that we would feed on it, that you would feed our faith and our trust in you from now until the end of time. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've simply entitled this sermon, I Shall Not Want, which is the second statement of the psalmist here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Last week, we read the first section, which was the Lord is my shepherd. And Pastor Willie led us in a sermon telling us who is the Lord, the Lord in is the word from Hebrew translated the Lord is Yahweh. And he told us that David's confidence at this point in his life was in Yahweh. We translate that Lord because it was an Old Testament practice of the Jews that they would never say the word Yahweh. It became a sacred name for them. So even we say the Lord, but it is Yahweh the creator, the one who flung all the... You remember last week, Willie told us about how God created the world and how great the world is and how expansive it is. That is the God that David is referring to. So there's a sense in which those first few phrases, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord great and transcendent, but suddenly the transcendent God in this metaphor of shepherd becomes really, really close. Though he is great and mighty and in some sense far away and transcendent, he is also eminent with us. He is close to us. And David had experienced that in his life. The Lord is my shepherd possessive, not our shepherd, kind of a plural there, but my shepherd, a very personal, personal God who is not just my refuge, he is not just my shield, he's not just my rock, as David would often say in other Psalms, he is my shepherd, the one who takes care of me. And so, what does he say next? Because of, if, that Lord is my shepherd, I, it was a boast. It was a total declaration of confidence. I shall not want, or I shall not be in want. I shall lack no good thing if the Lord is my shepherd. As I've just said, it's a glorious boast In the Lord's care. In the Lord's care in the midst of what? In the midst, not of a time in David's life when everything was going well. I don't believe that he was in a green pasture at that time. I don't believe he was beside still waters. It's very difficult to say where David exactly was. He could have been the shepherd boy and he could have penned this early on in his life. But he refers to enemies. He refers to walking through the valley of the shadow of death, which I've learned this week was actually a valley very, very close to Jerusalem. And the lights from Jerusalem would shine in the darkness and it would 
put light all around Jerusalem, but in this valley, as you had to go through it, there was a shadow in there. And so one might be able to imagine David leaving Jerusalem. A lot of commentators say that this psalm was written in the very deepest dark night of David's life, when he was fleeing from Absalom, his son. I don't know whether you know the story. David had, in 2 Samuel chapter 10, he had rested from going out to battle. That was his practice. All kings used to go out to battle to make sure their boundaries, make sure the enemies stayed in their place. And it was a king's job, usually every spring, to go out to battle. This time, David had not. He had stayed home. He goes out one late afternoon and goes on his own rooftop. And he sees from the rooftop, he sees a woman bathing who was preparing herself for a holy day. And he lusts in his heart. He sees her. He asks about her. He is told that she is married. She belongs to Uriah. She's the spouse of, wife of Uriah, the Hittite, who was out fighting the battles of the Lord with Joab and the other mighty men of God. And David asked for her. She came to his home that night, and he slept with her. And within a few short weeks, she was pregnant. And thus begins a series of events in David's life that ends up with his death of his son, Absalom, hanging from this, this beautiful head, the Bible says that he had, hanging from a tree, and then he is stabbed through the heart by Joab and dies. In between Bathsheba and the death of Absalom, you have David try to hide his sin by killing Uriah the Hittite, bringing him home, trying to get him to sleep with his wife so he cover up the pregnancy. Uriah doesn't sleep with his wife. Why should I sleep with her when all of my, my colleagues are fighting the, the battles of the Lord? And he wouldn't go and sleep with his wife because of the respect that he had and honor he had to his colleagues. And so David writes a note, gives it to another sermon, gives it to Uriah, gives him his, his own death warrant, to deliver to Joab and say, Joab, put Uriah in the heat of the battle. And when it is going against us, withdraw from him so that he may be killed. David at first is a liar, an adulterer, then a liar, and eventually a murderer. And David has to sit on this for a while. And then one day God sees what's going on with him and sends Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet tells him a story. It cuts David to the quick. And Nathan says, you are the man. You are the one that has done this thing before the Lord. And it has displeased him. But immediately Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. But the Lord will not take away the sword from your house. You will have trouble now, David. This is the context of this story. And trouble came. Within a few verses, we have another son of David, Amnon, who loves Tamar, another, uh, like a half-sister. And Amnon so loved her that he wanted to take her and sleep with her. But he didn't know how he was able to do that. He is given a plan by 
one of his friends to pretend that he is sick. I have his dad come and see him. He tells his dad, listen, why don't you send Tamar into me? And she can cook something for me and I'll begin to feel better. And when Tamar did come, Amnon took her. He slept with her. I'm paraphrasing the story. It's much longer, but I'm giving you the short version, Cliff Notes version. She runs away and she becomes desolate, but she is the sister of Absalom. And Absalom does not forget. Within a couple of years, he has killed Amnon, his half-brother. He runs away because of this. Eventually, he is restored and brought back. After David grieves his son, David brings him back. He is restored. He never sees the face of David, but he's able to live back into the palace, into his own quarters but Absalom hatches a plan whereby he will take over his father's place and he wins the hearts of the Israelites and eventually David hears about this. Absalom is declared king. He is betrayed by one of his closest advisors and counselors and David flees from Jerusalem. He leaves some of his concubines or wives behind. And in the following days, Absalom, in the face of all Israel, on the rooftops of Israel, sleeps with David's wives and basically says, I'm the new king. I have such power and authority, even I can now go sleep with my father's wives. Can you imagine? Do you think you'd have a... Would you be happy or depressed? Wouldn't this be the worst time of your life? Wouldn't this be a dark night of your soul? And whether this actually is the very context of this psalm or whether earlier bouts when David was fighting the battles of the Lord or being chased by Saul, I still think it definitely points to probably the lowest point of David's life. And many of us this last year, haven't we had low points? We're only now just getting together post-COVID this service itself, you're all, I'm not wearing a mask, but if the cameras could turn around, they'd see you wearing masks. Why? Because we've lived through a terrible time. We've lost probably a half a million people in our own country from COVID. A terrible time. A time of suffering. You've either lost someone or you know someone. You may have lost a job. You may have had the infection yourself and have really been sick through it. There's been a loss of freedom and just the list of losses just goes on and on. And you can come to a place in your life where you're just wondering, where is God in the midst of this? David was also famous for writing other psalms of um, lament. There's an even a famous psalm by the sons of Korah. It's a very, very bleak psalm of lament, of despair. And I believe a lot of people, when they're in the dark night of the soul, or when they're struggling either with suffering that comes from without, or the suffering that comes from within, within their own heart, because of their own sinfulness. The sons of Korah cry out. And they say, 
O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. He goes on to say, All my troubles, they surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Can you imagine the scriptures actually show us that? Darkness. I once heard Tim Keller preach a sermon on this, and he said another way of saying those very last lines, even darkness is a better friend than you, God. Where are you? Where have you gone? But in this, we don't have David lamenting. We have David actually remembering. He remembers who God is. Even from a dark place, I believe that this psalm is David remembering the promises of God in spite of how hard everything was in his life, how he'd been in exile, how he'd lost many of his wives, how those wives had been slept with by his own son, how he had lost his own son, how his own son had rebelled, and even how his son had died. David says... The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Somehow, David, even though he was going through hard times, decided that he would have joy, decided that he could still boast in the Lord and that he would not want anything. David knew God. He knew God from being a young boy out in the wilderness, but he still went through trouble and loss and no doubt confusion. His answer, a declaration of God's goodness and his ultimate well-being. David here in this psalm is preaching the gospel, the good news of who God is to himself. And I simply want to do this this morning. Are you able this morning to choose to rejoice even in the midst of maybe great loss or suffering in your life? I want to briefly go over what you must do, why you can't do it, then look at who can do it and how you can do it too. What must you do? It says it. I shall not want. That is a boast. The Apostle Paul says this. If anyone shall boast, let him boast in the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. If anyone should boast, let him boast in the Lord. Because the Lord is my shepherd, because the creator of the universe is the one who cares for me so deeply, even the great losses in life shall all work together for my good. I shall not want. This is not a shall not want just for my food or for water or for clothing or for all the cares of this life. This is a confidence 
that even though I may have sinned greatly against God, or even though just living life in this world where things passively happen to me, and I'm not the orchestrator or the author of it, it will all work together for my good. Because by the end of the, of the psalm, he says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is an eternal perspective. Do you see that? To this psalm. This psalm is not just to be preached at funerals, though it's very famous for being preached at funerals. This is a psalm for the here and now, for living life in the wilderness, for living life as a shepherd or as a sheep. If you go to the Mediterranean, even today, you don't see the green pastures of England or of Massachusetts, where do you have or the rolling hills of Virginia here in, in the United States? What you see is desert <laughs> with little green tufts of grass here and there. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He will give to me what I need. So what must you do? This verse calls us to boast in the midst of dark times. And why can't we do it? It's very simple, which is why I gave you the, the verses from 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Here is John reminding his audience through his letters of everything that Jesus is. And he does that positively for five chapters and in the last chapter, 20 verses, and then suddenly goes, oh, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And you look at that and go, what the heck? What, what does he mean? I think he means Psalm 23. You see, because either the Lord is your shepherd, and he is your God, and your creator, and your maker, and your sustainer, and everything to you, or there's idolatry. There's no in-between. If there is a good shepherd, doesn't it infer and imply immediately that there's a bad shepherd? where you will have want, where you will have needs and cares and they're not dealt with. Doesn't it mean that if the Lord isn't your shepherd, then someone, somewhere, either you will have to take care of your own needs. In the absence of God as our shepherd, we medicate, don't we? I was saying to a client this week, and she asked me what my week was going to be like. I said, oh, I'm preaching on Sunday. She goes, oh, what are you preaching on? Well, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I've got to preach a sermon on I shall not want. And she goes, well, what are you going to say? I said, well, I think the first thing that should come out of my mouth is I do want. <laughs> I want all the time. Are you like me? But we medicate, don't we? We medicate our pain with idols. We find something in the creation to be God to us. When Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, that's the beginning, isn't it, of idolatry. They find anything in the created universe, the created order, to be a God. 
And that's what an idol is. It is a created thing. It's not always a bad thing that we medicate ourselves on. It can be a good thing, but if made to be an ultimate thing, then eventually it becomes a bad thing and becomes to control us. You know what idols are. They can be the internet. It can be drugs. It can be sex. It can be TV. It can be a relationship, a husband or a child. I deal a lot in my counseling practice where loyalties, competing loyalties, interrupt the loyalty between a husband and wife when a loyalty to a child is greater than that either to God or to the marriage. It can be a party, Republican, Democrat, or independence. It can be being part of the West. It can be your race, either black or white, that you begin to esteem more as your identity and something than by which or through which and around which you build your whole identity. More recently, it can be your sexuality. I begin to build a subjective view of my whole life through my sexuality and who I identify myself to be. Now, the male or female, but maybe transgender, moving from male to female or female to male, or being gay or even straight. None of those things actually take you to heaven. You can be as straight as they come, but it doesn't make you straight before God. We will make anything an idol, and idols begin to give us a bad record. They separate us from God because we get a bad record. They give us a bad heart and eventually a bad master. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's how we medicate. We all know ourselves to have a bad record before God. God is not our king or our shepherd. We find ourselves in want. And so we go to everything in the world and say, will you be God to me? Will you give me a good record? Will you make me righteous? In the absence of God's righteousness, his right standing in Jesus Christ, we crave. The Old Testament puts it vividly. It says we are like camels in heat in the desert. We will crave an idol. We will crave anything that will satisfy us and give us a new record, a record usually of our own making. It gives us a bad heart. Mark 7, 21 says this. From the heart, Jesus said, comes all manner of evil. It gives us a bad heart. Sinfulness, being in want, gives us a bad heart. Separates us from God. And lastly, a bad master. John 8, 34 says this, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. I can imagine uh, David, he's had to think long and hard, has he not? Why am I out here in the wilderness? Why am I not in my palace? And he would have thought through all the events of his life. 
He's thought of the losses. He's thought of his actions. He's aware of what's happened to him in everything. And he makes this bold declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, even though I've had a bad record, even though I am guilty of having a bad heart, even though I've had a bad master, my Lord is still with me. I shall not want. All of these things keep us from seeing God's goodness in the good shepherd. The New Testament says in John chapter 10 that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Sometimes God's greatest love letters, Charles Spurgeon was known to have said, sometimes God's greatest love letters come riding on the black horse of adversity. Isn't that a great line? I remember, I read that years and years ago. If you go to the psalm previous to this, Psalm 22, the psalmist says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? In Charles Spurgeon's Treasury of David, where he goes back through every psalm, he says of Psalm 23, there can be no Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is famous for being a messianic psalm. It is the psalm that Jesus cried out when he was on the cross, when he was splayed out, nails in his wrists and in his feet, and he cries out to God in the deep, dark night of his soul, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of the psalms were written for the Lord, for him to be able to say in his hour of distress, in his dark night of the soul, Suffering, whether through our own fault, through our own sinfulness, or because of some plan of God in your life, whereby he uses suffering to do what? God uses suffering to wean us from relying on ourselves, on our idols, and to take our wants for comfort approval, security, for power, and to take them all to our good shepherd, Jesus. And isn't it good news? That before this psalm can be true for you, it's first of all true for Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus saying this? Maybe he meditated on this the night before he was crucified. Maybe he was on the cross and he meditated on this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He would be vindicated. Everything is looking bleak right now. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You are far off from me right now. But I believe and trust in the promises of God. I am who I said I am. I am the son of God. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep 
I will fear no evil, Jesus could say, for you are with me. Even your rod and your staff, even though I'm being chastised, I'm not being chastised for my sin, but for the sins of my people. And you will prepare a table for me one day. And I will rejoice before my enemies. I know for a fact that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And one day I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will be seated on the right hand of God and I will dispense from my throne all the blessings for which I died upon my people. Can you imagine Jesus thinking through that? Jesus is the one, and when we can't boast, <laughs> he's the one who did. He's the one who lived this psalm out perfectly. He'd never done anything wrong, nothing. The spotless, sinless, not only good shepherd, but lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus lived this psalm for us. He's the only one who did. And it's only now, because of what he did, can we follow in his footsteps. I heard these words from a young lady. I mentioned her last week in the benediction. Her name is called Jane Murkowski. She was on America's Got Talent. Surprise. She said this, you cannot wait until life is not hard anymore, until you decide to be happy. I believe that to be a profound understanding of Psalm 23. It's a profound understanding of someone who has suffered and suffered greatly. And at some point in the suffering, after they've argued with God, suddenly says, God, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This young lady came on the stage of America's Got Talent a couple of weeks ago, and she sang a song called It's Okay. It's okay to be lost because we're all a little lost. You can be lost and far away from God and not know God as your shepherd, as the one who cares for you and who loves you and will provide for all your needs. You can be a Christian and go through a time of suffering and darkness and still be lost. You can lose a wife. You can get cancer. And that's what happened to her. At the beginning of 2020, just before COVID really hit, She was hit with a third diagnosis of breast cancer. And on hearing that news, she was told that she had three months to six months to live. She brought the news probably, I don't know the whole story, but I'm putting things together from what I've seen. On giving that news to her husband, he left her. And he deserted her. And her song was born out of that suffering. She goes to California, and by some miracle, she gets a miracle. She also writes a blog. I've got this blog written right here about her experience. She didn't give that blog on uh, America's Got Talent, but she sang wonderfully. But she wrote about 
her cancer. She says, I have had cancer three times now, and I have barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God, that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. Isn't that a declaration of faith in the midst of a difficulty? She goes on to say, I am God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes with apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I've called him a cheat and a lie, and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. And these are the prayers I repeat night and day. Call me bitter if you want to. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. You hear that? Still trusting and believing that even in the midst of her difficulty, whether it be personal sin or suffering, just the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, I'm still a friend of God, for I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exile, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. The grout of a bathroom where she says she spent three months pouring out her heart to God. And then one day she decided, I'm not going to wait to be a singer one day. I'm going to send a video off to America's Got Talent and I'm going to live in the here and now based on God's good care for me. She sang her song, she came off the stage and she announced to the audience, I just want everybody to know that I've only got a 2% chance of living, but if they could only know how 2% and rejoicing in that 2% is better than 0%. I believe that is a great modern illustration of what it means to live right now with God as your shepherd and not having any once they've all been left for her on the bathroom floor and hopefully for us this morning right here in the chapel with a choice to boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, no matter where you find us this morning, no matter what our wants are or our needs or our desires, Lord, this psalm calls us to worship, to praise, to boastfulness in the Lord. That even though we may not see it, we have example after example in your word and more recently through this young lady of how you have met your people in the midst 
of deep struggle. Lord, help us this morning to enter into your good news for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.